Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Reunion. My name is Alex. I'm part of the teaching team here, and uh, I have the privilege of sharing with us this morning. Um, now, if you are just you know logging on for the first time or, or catching up, uh, we are in the fifth uh, Sunday of the season of Lent. And I don't know about you, but this has been a really impactful series for me. You know, Lent has uh, just been this amazing time that we set aside each year to, to focus our sight on what matters most. You right to put away all these old habits and these old rhythms that aren't serving us anymore and to pick up, you know, new habits and new ideas that are really pointing us in a better direction. And I love the approach that we've adopted this year, you know, of thinking about Lent as being about finding life beyond survival, because that really just helps us see, you know, what this season's all about. Um, it's about letting go, letting this old half-life that we've been living, letting that die, and then picking up this new full life in Jesus. And I know I'm not the only one who has to feel the goodness of that idea, especially after the last few years, right? Like through the pandemic and the politics and the war, like life has just felt like a roller coaster. And I have just been like holding on for dear life, like, like really tightly for dear life. And, you know, as I've been moving through this series, I just, I've been wondering, you know, is, is holding on so tightly, like, really the way to go? You know, it's like, it's like this, has, has anyone ever tried to do something with someone when the activity is, like, kind of more of a solo thing? Um, you know, for instance, like, Krista and I, like, we love to plan vacations together. And sometimes, you know, that means we'll both be on our computers or our phones and we'll be looking at different things. But sometimes it means that we have to sit down together and to work on like an itinerary or booking flights or looking at a web page together. Uh, and, you know, that obviously begs one gigantic question. Who holds the computer? And now I don't know if this is like an us thing or like an everyone thing, but controlling the computer or the phone in question, like that's a big deal because we have found out through the years that we work in dramatically different ways sometimes, you know? Like if I have control of the computer, we'll be like zigging and zagging and jumping from one web page to the other. We'll be like looking for bits of information, you know? And if we miss something, it's okay because we'll probably like cycle back through the tabs again, um, you know? And if Krista has control, it's much more careful and deliberate. And she's gonna make sure that we take everything in from a web page before we move on. Now, I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way. I mean, there probably is. Uh, but one thing is for certain, whoever is not in control of the computer is slowly being driven crazy by the other person, like just being driven absolutely crazy, right? Like the whole thing of doing something together becomes this steady stream of like, no, 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 like go back, you missed something or okay, like, I think we can scroll along now. And like, eventually it just becomes like, let me do it. Now, to be honest, though, that one, that one's usually like a, a subtext, like when someone goes to take a bathroom break or a snack break, like becomes like a sort of move your feet, lose your seat, middle school kind of situation. And we kind of mostly accepted it. It's just part of the deal now, you know. But now maybe some of you are more patient than us, uh, but I think we all kind of understand that experience, right? Uh, there's just something that can be so frustrating when you just don't have control over it. You just want to like grab it and take control. Right. And sometimes it's really small and inconsequential, like a computer mouse or a remote control or like wanting to drive. Uh, but sometimes I think we can all recognize that the lack of control and the desire for more control 
can become problematic and, and even dangerous in the wrong situations. And today we're gonna to unpack that dynamic uh, by cracking open a story from the life of Jesus that deals directly with this drive for control. It's, it's a really brief scene in the book of Luke uh, where a rich government official approaches Jesus and asks him a really big question. And so the story is in Luke 18, and we're going to, you know, we'll throw it on the screen. But if you do have a Bible in your hand, you know, feel free to flip there because we'll be starting and stopping along the way. So it'd be nice to have it in your hand. So our story starts in Luke uh, 18, verse 18. Now, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I know we just read one verse. Let's stop there really quickly, right? That's a huge question. And this, this question, this idea of eternal life, it really needs some unpacking for us to really understand what's happening in this story. You know, for most of us, right, this idea of the eternal life, it's, it's just a quantitative reality, right? Eternal is just a unit of time. You know, it's, it's a one plus one plus one plus one plus one, right, for infinity. That's what we mean by eternal. And so when we think about eternal in that way, you know, we read the ruler's question as something like, you know, how can I be saved or, or how can my soul live forever? And that's not completely wrong, but it's also not the whole picture of what's happening here. You see, in Greek, this phrase eternal life, there's also a qualitative dimension to the phrase. In this sense, you know, you could also translate eternal life as an eternal kind of life. And that is something different, right? An eternal kind of life is one that reflects the nature of eternity. It reflects your connection to God and the divine. And within the worldview that that of the ancient Near East, you know, that, that eternal kind of life, this connection to the divine, it also entailed a life full of riches and honor and fame. So in other words, an eternal kind of life is what you and I might call the good life, right? Like living high on the hog, whatever phrase you want to say, like this is the good life that we're all aiming for. And so when the ruler comes up to Jesus and asks about how to inherit eternal life, he's not just asking, you know, how do I get to heaven? How do I be saved? He's asking, how do I have the good life right now? He's asking, what steps do I need to take to really set myself up for God-given success? Like he's asking a question of control. What do I need to do to get to where I want to go? He asked this huge question. And so what does Jesus do? Picking up the story again. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Now, this is a super strange way to respond to a question about how to you know, achieve the good life, right? You know, the ruler comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher. And Jesus responds by throwing his words back at him, which just if you didn't know, right, when Jesus starts throwing your words back at you, like that's a sign you're in the splash zone. Things are about to get wet and real. OK, you know, Jesus, he said like, he's like, good. You know, only God's good. You think I'm good. You think you're good. Have you followed the commandments? 
you know, when, when I hear Jesus talking like this, you know, I just have that, like the meme of Admiral Akbar from Star Wars yelling, like, it's a trap. Like, you know, this is not going to go well, but the ruler doesn't have that meme in his head. And he says, of course, you know, of course, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person, Jesus. I followed the commandments. So what's happening here? This is a very strange exchange. See, the ruler walked up to Jesus with a question about control, about how to get the life he wanted. And what does Jesus do? He calls into question his entire moral framework. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, morality, we like to hold it up on a high pedestal, but uh, morality can just become another form of control. You know, we call this good and that bad. We put things and actions and people into boxes and we feel nice doing it. We pat ourselves on the back for doing good and look down our noses at those who do bad. And we feel good that we're on the right side of an issue or a problem or history. Some might even believe in karma, right? That if we do enough good, that good will come back to us. And so morality can, can let us justify ourselves and tell ourselves that we deserve something because we did the right thing, right? That we deserve the good life because we've done so much good. At least we've done more good than those people over there. You know, morality, it's not necessarily bad. It's not. But it can become just another form of power that we wield in our efforts to wrangle and control the world around us, to give some sense of order to the chaos. It gives us a sense of control and that can feel nice, but I have to break it to you. Jesus is not interested in that sort of morality. Have you kept the commandments? Picking up our story again. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You still lack one thing. Gosh, right? This, this rich ruler, he had kept all the rules, but he was still lacking. So Jesus says, yes, it's nice to be a good person, but that's not the sum total of life or the sum total of following Jesus, right? Morality, it feels like a good form of control, but it alone, it won't get you to where you want to go in life. But let's face it, right? Morality, it's good, but it's not really the strategy that most of us try to employ when we try to wrangle some control out of life, right? So Jesus tells this ruler to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the ruler hung his head because he was rich and he just couldn't do it. And that passage, it just, it kind of haunts you, right? Jesus looks at him square in the face and he says, how hard is it? the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that's just one of those passages in scripture where it just turns your stomach because it just hits you so hard. I mean, come, come on, Jesus, like money, 
money isn't that bad, right? You can do a lot of good with money. You can employ people. You can make donations to charitable organizations. You can support a family. Like what's so wrong with being rich, Jesus? This guy was a good guy. He could have done great things with that money, right? And, and we earn that sort of our money with our sweat and our tears, Jesus. Like money is ours by right. We, we can use it to do so much. Why do we have to sell it all? Why did this guy have to sell it all? I mean, sure, right? Like maybe this is true about money. Money can do a lot of good things, but ultimately it's just another form of control. Money is just another grasping at power, another attempt to bend the world to our aims. And if you don't believe me, that's what money is. Just ask yourself one question. Would you show up to your job if they stopped paying you? My guess for most of us is no. We all do quite a lot for money on a daily basis. And we do it because money is just a straightforward kind of power. We let other people control our labor in exchange for money. And once we have money, we tell ourselves that if we can just control it in the right ways, right? Save a little here, invest a little there. Then we can have the good life one day. And if we ever accumulate a lot of money, well, that's just our due reward for working hard. I mean, we played the game right. Why in the world would we have to give up all our money for an eternal kind of life? Is it, I mean, isn't money just proof that we're already doing something right? That it's proof that I'm on the way to the good life. So why sell it all? I hate to say it, but it seems that Jesus doesn't think money is very helpful at all. He tells the ruler to basically divest, not just from bad stock options, but to divest from money, to let go of this temptation towards control and instead to follow him. Money cannot buy you the eternal kind of life that it won't get you where you want to go. I mean, this story, it's, it's brutal in some ways, it, but it's also so important for us to hear. Because I think the rich ruler's question is the same one that we all ask every day, right? We want this eternal kind of life. We want a good life and we search for it and we chase after it. We want to control our destinies, have a bit of security. And so we cling to whatever form of control, whatever form of power that we can grab onto and we hold on for dear life. And hasn't Hasn't that just been the story of the pandemic, right? Some of us hoard toilet paper, others hoard ammo, a bunch of us stockpiled rapid tests. We all just want to be safe. We all want to feel in control, have an inkling of power in the swirl of it all, right? Is this a wrong? Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw shade at anyone, anyone. But I think perhaps in the story, Jesus is telling us something. That none of these tiny power grabs, none of these tiny bids for control, none of that will get us to where we want to go. So the question is, what is the alternative? Let's finish the story. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, we have left all to follow you. 
Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in, in the age to come eternal life. And the answer is, is pretty simple. You can't have the eternal kind of life, the truly good life, while we try to cling to all these lesser forms of control and power. We can only find real life-giving power after we let go of all the world's definitions of power. You know, throughout Christian history, there actually have always been these stories of a monks and, and priests who fled to the countryside the moment someone tried to elevate them to some position of power. Um, it's kind of like a trope. You find all kinds of these stories. You know, they didn't want the responsibility because they knew that power is dangerous. They knew that sitting in a position of moral authority or overseeing the resources of a community, that that could become a temptation to believe that they had the power to achieve what needed to be done. To believe that if they just had a touch more power, they could do even more. See, those priests and monks from the past, I think they knew what we often forget. That what Jesus was trying to help this young ruler see, that, that power is often just a pyramid scheme. We search for control and power and we get it and we think that'll be enough, but that's just not how it seems to work, right? We think that if we follow all the rules or make lots of money that we can gain a bit of freedom and security, but it turns out there's always a moral crisis or an economic challenge right around the corner, right? We are finite. And so by definition, there will always be something just a bit out of our reach in our quest for control and power. It just becomes never ending. And so the solution, let go. I could sing a Disney song here, but I will spare everyone from that. But truly that is the answer to just let go. See, in this story of the ruler, Jesus is saying, look, if you really, if you really want to find the good life, the eternal life, then you need to stop trying to manufacture it yourself. You have to deal first with your own desire for control and your drive to bend the world to your will. You have to deal with the real problem, which is yourself. You have to stop trying to shape the world and start being shaped by God. See, in Jesus' topsy-turvy kingdom, the only way forward is back. If you want to control your life, then you have to lose control. If you want power, then you have to give power up. And I'll be honest, right? That, that idea sounds a little terrifying. Maybe that's because we're like the rich young ruler and we have so much. But losing control, giving up power, letting go, that just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Sounds like we'd be chewed up and spit out and walked over and forgotten. And, you know, if you're thinking that, like I am, then I have to say, maybe we're right. Maybe that's exactly what happens when you give up power and control, because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. 
I mean, think about it. Jesus was the man of his time. He was a teacher of teachers, a king of kings. People were ready to kill for him, to die for him. He could have led a revolution, overthrown the religious hypocrites of his day or the colonial oppressors of his day. He had the reins of power held right out in front of him. What does he do? Let's go. He doesn't take them. He gave up any claim to human forms of power, and he let the powers that be have their way with him. He was arrested, and he was beaten, and he was mocked, and he was tortured, and he was crucified, and then he was laid in a borrowed tomb. It didn't even have his name on it. No one likes someone hanging around who can disrupt the fragile security that they spent so long building. Jesus had to go. See, by opting out of that drive for control, that drive for power, Jesus gave us a perfect picture of what our human desire for power ultimately leads to. He unmasked the fear and the viciousness that can live at the heart of our drive for control. Jesus unmasked the falseness of that sort of power, and he showed us that all it really amounts to is a path to death. And that would be so horrifically depressing if that were the end of the story. Thank God it wasn't. See, Jesus was raised from the dead. And in so doing, he revealed that there was an alternative form of power at work in the universe. And that power was the self-giving love of God. And that power is only accessible when we stop trying to control others and even control our own lives. It's something we discover when we stop living for ourselves and start living for other people. And when we tap into that power, this eternal kind of life that we've been chasing, we find that that sort of life, that truly good life, it arrives like a gift from God, like a miracle. You know, and when I think of that sort of power in the world of what it takes to access that sort of power, I often find myself asking the same sort of question that the disciples had after they observed this encounter with the rich ruler. You know, who can be saved? If I have to give up everything for this quest, if I have to give up my quest for control, all my desires for power, I mean, that sounds impossible. When I have those feelings, when I think that that self-giving love of God seems so far and impossible, I, I take comfort in these words of Jesus. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Through the power of the cross and the resurrection, God can help us unlearn and let go of our quests for control and teach us to live in this radical self-giving way of love. So the real question is how, I mean, right. And and it can feel almost like a trick question, right? Because we can so easily slip into this mode of the rich young ruler, the mode of control and formulaic thinking, right? If I just do X and Y and Z, then I will know I relinquish my desire for control and I can have the eternal kind of life, right? It's so easy to fall into that sort of strategic way of thinking. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works. Life is more complex than that. There isn't a formula for how to do this. I I don't have a nice set of bullet points to to give you. That drive for control, it's at the deep one 
and it can take a lifetime to uproot. And look, I, I'm going to keep struggling watching my wife scroll methodically through web pages. I will. I love her and I will go a little crazy, but I will keep struggling with that. Imagine for years to come, perhaps, perhaps when I feel the anxiety and the frustration of not being in control of a mouse, maybe I can stop for a moment and explore, explore those feelings and the things that are driving them. And I know that's just a small example, but the truth is moments like that reveal a deeper struggle that's taken place in the core of my being. I want control over my life, my future, my time. I want the good life. And, and way too often I believe that I can only get it by seizing control, by driving the ship myself. It's a struggle that is deep and pervasive and it finds expressions in so many aspects of my life from the mundane to the profound. And I imagine that each of us has a similar struggle taking place and that we all feel moments of anxiety and the deep need for control. So I can only invite you to let those moments become avenues for God's grace where you can stop and explore and learn to let go, to trust that God is good. See, in these moments, we have to let the cross unmask us, unmask our own quest for power and control. We have to put ourselves into the unenviable, posi unenviable position of the rich ruler and to ask if we are truly able to trust that this person named Jesus is worth following to the end. See, when we can learn to trust Jesus, when we can learn to lay down control, to pick up our cross and to follow him, then we find we are on the path towards the exciting and undangerous unselfishness of love. To let go can be hard, but it's the only way to the eternal kind of life, the truly good life that we're all chasing after. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the powers that we see in this world, the powers of control, the powers that seek to, to drive and bend the world to their wills, that these powers are not those that ultimately have the final word, that your power, the power of your love, your sacrificial self-giving power, that this is what drives the universe and holds it together. Lord, we pray that you would help Help us to be unmasked this week and all the weeks coming. That you would take our drives for control and power and that you would expose them. Help us see the ways in which we've not laid those down. The ways in which we're holding on too tight to our life. Help us see that we need to let go. To trust you and to, to learn how to follow you more. You've invited us into so much. You've shown us the way to the good life, and we pray that you would give us grace this week to embrace that journey, to take steps further along that path with you. Amen.